0: You are now tuned into The Lunch Break Podcast, where true sales pros go to tell their stories. This is episode 65 of The Lunch Break Podcast, where true sales pros go to share their stories. My name is James Bodden. Episode 65, kind of a big deal for me. And I knew that I needed to bring somebody who is a big deal in this world of sales, sales development. It's Lindsay Boggs, folks. I was lucky enough to have Lindsay agree to stop by the podcast and we dive into how she got started in sales. We talk about her career progression We talk about how she decided to start creating content and what that journey has been like for her. We talk about meditation and for anybody that doesn't already know Lindsay, Lindsay is a true sales practitioner. She is a sales development leader at Citrix, so she's literally doing the work every day. She's also a fantastic content creator, somebody who has been a pioneer in social selling. And so for all of those reasons, very excited and honored to have Lindsay as a guest for episode 65. If you can't listen to the entire episode right now, I had Lindsay serve up a snack break sales tip that you can listen to. Check it out.
1: I would say as we are continuing through this epidemic right now in our society, I would say as you're doing outreach right now, as you're prospecting, the biggest advice I can tell you from the stats that I am keeping track of with our sales development team is when you're prospecting, lead with empathy. That is has been the biggest change that we have made with our teams. And we have done testing in our environment and we have seen a major, major lift in response rates by leading with empathy versus not leading with empathy. So if you are sending the same messaging that you have always been sending, I guarantee you that's not going to work
0: a fantastic sales tip from Lindsey Boggs. And look, this episode is so fantastic, I don't wanna waste any more time by talking anymore. So here we go, episode 65 of the Lunch Break Podcast with Lindsey Boggs. Here we are, uh, another monumental episode. I feel like the way I scheduled the podcast this season was I wanted every five episodes to be with somebody that that's really put a lot of work and heart into the sales community. Episode 60 was Keenan. We all love him and the gap selling and everything. And, and episode 65 is somebody that, that has done tons for the sales community, especially on LinkedIn. I have Lindsay Boggs with me. She is a digital sales and development manager at Citrix here in Raleigh. But she's also a content creator, somebody who's literally, I feel like I've watched her journey uh, through the content that she's created. And uh, for all those reasons, very excited to have you here, Lindsay. Thanks for stopping by.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Fantastic. So let's dive right into it because we do have a limited amount of time. Lindsay, talk to us about how you got started in sales.
1: Yeah. So it's kind of a weird, strange journey, how I ended up in sales, but the TLDR, if you will, is that I majored in opera and that was strange. Um, But
0: (laughs) just kind of in and of itself, majoring in opera was a strange thing. Got it.
1: Duly noted. Duly noted. And I ended up following my heart to Dallas uh, and married my husband uh, who majored in French horn performance. And fun note on that is that he studied with, uh, the world renowned professors that actually played in the original Star Wars films. Wow! So, yeah. So he took his journey into music as well, but I did an executive assistant position at FedEx for several years. And I knew I wanted to do something different. I knew I wanted to do something more. And I went out to dinner with, um, a couple females that, I knew from a friend of a friend and they just came in to dinner and they just kind of had all their things, like their ducks in a row, if you will. And I remember just talking to them and there was one girl in particular named Mandy. Hi Mandy. <laughs> I tell this story all the time. and um, Yeah. I need to put like, yeah, I need to send her some yes stuff. So I just remember she just like had everything together and Heidi was there too. Hi Heidi. And I just said, what do you do for a living? And she said, Oh, I'm in sales. I'm in software sales. And I was like, really you're in sales. Cause I had this like derogatory thing with sales. Cause we, you know, in sales you, you have like a stigma against sales. Right. And there also are not enough women in sales. And I was like software sales, like tech, <laughs> like you could, you know, tech. Right. And um, so I said, tell me more. And she's like, Oh, well, You know, I get recruiters contacting me all the time. Next time I get a recruiter contacting me, I can try to set you up with an interview and I can coach you on what they're looking for. I think you'd be great in sales. And I was like, really? So long story short, um, the next recruiter that contacted her was somebody from Bronto Software. And she coached me and I got an interview at Bronto and I got hired and the rest is history.
0: I love it. I love it. And and it's so interesting because... I also had a similar experience, and have talked to people who met somebody that was in sales that was not the stereotypical version. And it's kind of, I mean, it's just like any time a stereotype of yours is is proven wrong, it's 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 belief shattering. You're like, oh, whoa, you know. I I remember I was working in retail sales, selling cell phones at Verizon, and this guy had been coming in for, I don't know, a couple of months to pay his bill. He was just like a really nice guy. Very similar. Had his, seemed to have his stuff together. You know, it wasn't anything flashy or fancy, but it just looked like he had his stuff together. Right. And I had that same feeling of man. So finally I asked him, what do you do? And and he was an outside sales rep for Swisher, the uh, hygiene, you know, they, they, they sell like urinal cakes and toilet paper mm-hmm. dispensers and stuff. But it was like, what you could, there was, you know, I think a lot of us have a a few revelations. It's first, okay. This person seems to have their stuff together. They're not that sleazy, uh, typical snake oil salesman type thing. And then also, and, and it sounds like you kind of had a similar revelation of like, Oh, well, there's an industry outside of like car sales and retail sales and Customer-facing sales, where I could build a sales career. So, when when you got that job at at a place like Bronto, talk to us about that, that that those first like ninety days to six months. It's we all hear it's so critical, and I always love speaking with people who've gone on to have very long and successful sales careers about their kind of first ninety days to six months and 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 how they got through it and and yeah. what what kept them in the game, I guess?
1: Well, if I'm perfectly honest, um, in the beginning I had no friends because I was older. I was 26 at the time. Yep. And um, I was married, still unmarried. I had a daughter, still have the daughter, and I was older. And the people that were hired as an SDR were right out of college. And uh, so I w- I did not fit the mold of what a typical SDR was. And so I had a target on my back because they were like, who is this woman who is older? And, um, I decided, you know, when they, when they dangled this carrot called president's club, I was mm. like, what is this free trip? I hear of? tell me more <laughs> because mama hasn't been on a trip that's free ever. tell me more. (laughs) So when I heard about this thing called president's club, I was like, okay, I'm in like, Mm -hmm. what do I need to do to get this trip? And so when they told me what I needed to do, I literally was like, I don't need friends. I need to get this trip. Yeah. And so that's what I focused on. And so when they gave me my quota, which I was like, what's a quota? Um, they gave me my cause I'm brand new in sales. Yeah, I'm, why
0: wouldn't you not I'm know what the hell a quota was? Yeah.
1: I'm literally an opera singer who is now in sales and has a quota who wants to win this trip to the Bahamas with my husband. And so I get my quota and I put my head down and I am in the zone. And they I get all the collateral I need to do my job. And I realize within the first week or two that the collateral that I'm given is not getting me to my number. And so I decide, all right, Eric, I'm not going to do this collateral that they're, I'm not using the collateral they're giving me. I'm going to find a different way to get to my number. And that's when I turn to LinkedIn and that is my aha moment. And that's when I become this social selling person, pioneer, whatever you want to call it. And that's when I become known for social selling. And that's kind of where the rest is history for me
0: yeah no and 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 it's fascinating because it is an interesting experience to get into a profession like sales because it there's a low barrier to entry so lots of people get into it and then there's wildly varying levels of how people are taking like what level of seriousness they're taking it, right? I guess is a really uh, bad way to put it. But it's because for me, I worked with people that it was a stopgap job. Oh, I only need to do this for the next six months because I'm trying to move out to California with my girlfriend. Or, uh, you know, this is just what I need to do in order to save some money to start my own business, right? And then you have the people that really don't care. And then kind of the the cream of the crop people Go on and and build careers, and it is very interesting to come into a role that uh, is typically for folks that are just at a different stage in their lives, um, and 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 come into it because I had I was 28 when I took my first BDR role. I had been in sales for like eight years, um, and and you know was working with folks that were like 23, 24. This was their first sales job. They'd only ever worked there. Um, and it was also the quietest sales for it ever seen or been on, you know, everybody just sent emails, you know? And so, um, it, it, but it's an immediate advantage in my opinion, if, because you're dialed in, you have a much higher purpose. Let's, let's just be honest or not, maybe not, not higher, uh, just a more laser focus. Mm -hmm. Like you can tie the hundred calls or the 50 emails or the things that you got to do. You can tie it directly to, I need to take a damn vacation with my family. Yeah. And, and, and the, these people that I care about and that, that I go home to, they're the anchor for all of this stuff that I'm going to do. And, and um, one of the things you mentioned, <laughs> and this is so key. You recognize that you didn't have what you needed. Mm-hmm. And you didn't just, uh, well, they're not giving a hundred percent. So why am I, I I, I see that all the time. I've said that before in, in jobs. So talk to us about that mentality of like, okay, well, huh, you're not going to, you know,
1: what was was that journey like? You know, it was very simple. There was a dashboard in Salesforce and my name was in red and I didn't like that.
0: Mm. It was in
1: red. It was it was not in green. It was not in yellow. It was in red. And I was at zero for meetings attended. And I said, Well, that's not gonna work for me. First of all, I need to get to I think the number was twenty-two meetings booked or something like that or attended for the month. And um in order to get to Presidents Club, you had to be at number one for the year. And so I said, Okay, I have to get to my monthly number, which was twenty-two. And I was not trending in the right direction and I was not going to wait a whole month for me to finish in red. So I decided after a week of this content they were giving me was not working, I was going to develop my own content. Mm -hmm. And whereas a lot of other people were just sitting back saying like, oh, this content's not working. I was like, well, I'm going to go write my own content, do my own thing. And after week two of doing my own thing, I booked 10 meetings that week with my own stuff and i was like okay well my stuff's working i'm going to keep using my stuff ding
0: yeah, yeah. found a solution yeah. and then you and then you run with it yeah and it's so funny and as as you were said that like it's just very simple my name was in red like that's just not okay i'm going to do everything i can and and i think that that is absolutely something that i've seen across the board with people that love sales not, let's not even say are successful, but they love sales. It's it's when they hate being in the red because okay. that that journey of just like I am gonna fight back tooth and nail everything I can figure out to do to make sure
1: the worst day is on the first day of the month when the dashboard refreshes. Let's just mm. get that out there.
0: Let's just keep it real on the lunch break podcast. That is the worst day, and you know it. It's it it's such an up and down career, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and you've obviously gone on to, to have a long sales career and, and, and one that you've enjoyed. And I also you know know that, that along the way, you, you've incorporated things like meditation into kind of your daily life. It's absolutely something that I'm a proponent of I found it a few years ago, it was maybe saved me from burnout uh, at least two times, right? I mean, just absolutely. Um, So talk to us about kind of how that, that meditation piece has played a part in your sales career. Cause I think it's just super fascinating.
1: Yeah. So I started meditating. I'm actually in my meditation room right now. It's very, I'm
0: so jelly. Mm -hmm. I'm so jealous. I've got like a meditation shelf.
1: I see that. Yes. So I actually have bamboo flooring, um, in my room right here. So it's
0: it's fantastic.
1: Amazing. So I found meditation in my life. Actually this past December, I went to a wellness retreat that focused on meditation. It's called the art of living in Boone, North Carolina. And it has really just helped me ground myself and find a way to be really thoughtful in how I approach my day and allow me to focus better. When, and I find myself, when I don't meditate, that my thoughts are more scattered, that I am worthy of 10 minutes of time in the morning. And I think the big misconception with meditation and what people don't realize is that you can just meditate for five minutes or 10 minutes. I think people think meditation is an hour commitment and it's not, it can't. <laughs> if you want it to be, but it it can only be five or 10 minutes. And um, there's apps out there that you can download that do guided meditation for you. So you don't have to, you know, do it. And also there's another misconception that you're praying to a God or praying to somebody, you don't, that's also false. So (laughs) (laughs) I just think there's a lot of misconceptions about meditation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. I, I feel like meditation and sales have the same problem. Like their branding and their marketing is bad because people that aren't involved with sales think that we're all sleazy people who are trying to make a buck. Right. And then everybody that thinks about meditation is, Oh, I've got to sit and nothing's on my mind for three hours and yeah. you know, all these things. And I've found that, that um, to your point, it's, it's, it's like a tool. It's like a tool that helps me uh, deal with, my day-to-day, the one thing that I think is so interesting is there's this, been this huge uprise of people that love to talk about emotional uh, intelligence and in sales and how important EQ is. Well, mm-hmm. there is no better way to fine-tune your own EQ, in my opinion, than developing a meditation practice. I mean, I have literally been in scenarios, like tense work scenarios that are hard to manage and, and dealt with them. And then on the back end of it, people have come to me and been like, wow, like that was re- you kind of handled yourself well through that. And I tie it directly to, well, I knew this call was coming, so I meditated for 15 minutes this morning, handled it. You know, it's like a yeah. superpower.
1: Absolutely. And the other thing too is just dealing with stress and dealing with anxiety. And the biggest thing I learned in this meditation retreat is that so much of our mind share is focused on past tense which has a lot of anxiety grief and so much of our mind share is focused in the future which also has anxiety and the only thing you can control in present tense is your breath and that's why meditation is so profound
0: yeah yeah and it, and, and it's interesting because you've gone on this journey and somebody like me knows about it because you've kind of chosen to to create content and be somebody who who shares their journey um, kind of in the digital world. So lots of people can develop a successful career in whatever career path they choose and do whatever they like and, and go on their journey, but not a lot of people choose to document it, involve themselves in a community, reach out, help other people. So just talk to us about how what that experience has been like, how you came to that kind of decision to take that step because Mm -hmm. it's like 1% of people that are on a platform like LinkedIn actually are contributing uh, content-wise.
1: Yeah, I think the first big piece of content I shared with the audience on LinkedIn was about my in-mail success I was having with LinkedIn. And then that is what led me to the stage with Shaquille O'Neal and the reason I honestly shared the content about the emails was that I was having a 60% response rate. And I remember thinking I was holding it to myself and I was thinking, you know, what I'm doing might help a lot of other salespeople. I should probably share it with the audience, but I didn't think it was going to lead to what it led to. Then it led to the Shaquille O'Neal thing, which then led to my own business, which then led to Gary Vaynerchuk, which then led to other things. Then my life um, took a sudden turn when my sister passed away in 2016, and then my life kind of went on pause for a while um, while I was getting my life back together. And then I took a really long pause, and then after I had a series of events, um, which involved the mental hospital, um, when I had a really, really bad turn of events. I paused and um, I did decide to write another piece of content, which changed the rest of my life forever. And that was sharing my experience in the mental hospital and putting that to the world on LinkedIn. And that led me to a TEDx talk, which I never thought that would ever happen. And the intent was not to write about the article to lead me to that. The intent was to write the article. And if I could change one person's life, I'm getting them help getting them adequate help because I did not get help the right way when I needed help. So that was the intent with that article.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so interesting because each of those kind of defining moments were, were truly just based in, this seems like something that I could help with. This seems like a way that I could help, whether it's the in-mail uh, article where oh man I feel selfish keeping this to myself I'm having too good of a time with these with these open rates right I need to share this and then and then you I think what's interesting is you do something like that on that level on the professional level and you see the response and it's like whoa I'm wash, like kind of washed over with people that are like thank you so much f- you know for doing this this is so great this made my life a little bit easier. And you get familiar with that feeling and then you realize, uh, there's something to this, right? Me giving uh, and being a little bit vulnerable was something that most people would kind of hide away out of fear that somebody was going to do it better than them. What if somebody has a 70% open rate? Then I'm, not, then I'm not the one who wrote the article. I mean, a lot of people struggle with that, right? And yeah. but when it's based in a place from I just want to help and there's not even really this deep thought into what if, I wonder if this could happen. What if the, you know, this is going to get me here. I think that's the key, right? Because then, then it becomes this ride that you can go on and understand that, Hey, I can, I can pause because life and then come back to it. And I know what to do because I'll just do what I've always done. Be myself. Say things that I think might help one person, and then, you know, that just turns into the next phase, right? And I think I've actually,
1: I've actually never shared this with anybody before. But after I posted the article about my mental breakdown on LinkedIn, I remember posting it on January first after I wrote it, and I got so many people messaging me that actually had a panic attack because it was so profound. I mean, yeah. I, I never, I got so many, my, my, you know, on LinkedIn, you get the little ding whenever you get a message uh, Yeah. and my computer was like, ding, 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 ding. ding ding. And I was like, and I had, I, I honestly had like a, a moment where I was just mm-hmm. like, I might delete this. I might delete this. I might delete this because it was so much. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I'm, glad, I'm glad I kept it on there, but, um, it was a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's an important thing to, to kind of address, right? Uh, We kind of mentioned it before we hit record, but it is a strange thing to create content and it is, let's be honest, right? I mean, it's not, not everybody uh, deals with that kind of thing. And, and, and um, it's totally by choice. Right. But, and I think what's so powerful is that you, you realize, well, even through the anxiety that it causes me and just how nerve wracking that experience is of being absolutely vulnerable and, and having basically opening up to everybody's freaking opinions. Right. And however that may come on, however that person is feeling in that moment behind their little keyboard. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's so powerful because you, the, the positive effects of it still outweigh all of that. Yeah. Like in some way, somehow at the end of the day, you're able to kind of, okay, well, it's still worth it.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, and so as we're, I want to be conscious of the time here. Um, what is one actionable like sales tip that you would give uh, folks listening to the show? Typically folks that listen or BDRs, frontline AEs, folks out there doing the work, what's a bit of advice that you would uh, have for them, Lindsay?
1: I would say as we are continuing through this epidemic right now in our society, I would say as you're doing outreach right now, as you're prospecting, the biggest advice I can tell you from the stats that I am keeping track of with our sales development team is when you're prospecting, lead with empathy that is, has been the biggest change that we have made with our teams and we have done testing in our environment and we have seen a major, major lift in response rates by leading with empathy versus not leading with empathy. So if you are sending the same messaging that you have always been sending, I guarantee you that's not going to work.
0: Yeah. And it, and, and it's so critical that as leaders there are folks like you who who understand that and and for everybody that that's on your team or listening to that that may not be hearing that message from their leadership um you know it's a reinforcement of the right way to do it and and sales can be a one of the most noble professions in the world in my opinion if it's done the right way and i think that's a great tip for everybody out there Last question, I ask everybody that comes on the Lunch Break podcast, Lindsay, what is your favorite place to eat lunch when we're not told to stay home all the time?
1: So I have to preface this with one thing. Okay. I will tell you my favorite place to eat lunch with a preface by letting you know, and everyone know that I am what's called a super taster. Do you know what a super taster is?
0: No, I do not. This is Wait. a new thing for me. Okay,
1: so a super taster is somebody that has very limited taste buds. So I am somebody that is categorized as somebody that basically eats from the kid's menu because my, my taste buds are not very affluent. They, I do not eat from normal menus because my taste buds are very limited. Okay. And, and so we actually, that's called
0: being a super taster. Got it. We are
1: actually called super tasters. So with that being in mind, my favorite place to eat is Flying Saucer because they have those giant, giant pretzels that are this big. Yes. And I love the beer cheese.
0: Boom. That's it. I think I just found a phrase for what people have accused me of my entire life of eating like a 12-year-old.
1: You're a super taster. Just just say you're a super
0: taster. That's so that sounds so much better, yeah, than okay, yeah, because me and my little boy pretty much eat the same thing, chicken nuggets, you know we 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 can eat off of each other's plates i I, I think that's fantastic, and truly, uh probably one of the best things you could eat for lunch if you were gonna take somebody's advice from the lunch break podcast. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much. If people weren't already connected to you, I'm sure they want to be connected to you now after that fantastic uh, story that you shared with us and all the insight, how can they do that?
1: Uh, You can add me on LinkedIn. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm not super active on Twitter, but I do post some fun things about X-Files. I'm a big X-Files fan. I follow them. I go to the comic cons. I take pictures with the cast. It's a fun time. But LinkedIn is the place to go connect
0: with me. Fantastic. And with that, I'm going to wrap up episode 65 of the Lunch Break Podcast. Speak to you guys soon.